0: Greetings, friends, and welcome to the Gospel Underground Podcast. This is episode 106, Good Problems and Necessary Goods. We are broadcasting live together, live for us from the worldwide shed quarters of the Gospel Underground here in Blacksburg,
1: Virginia. It's good to be here in person, not yeah. on Zoom.
0: We Zoomed it up with Kayla last time and uh, a good witness. You guys know we're heading into a new series starting today. We did a little preview a little bit ago, uh, saying previewing the good. And then we also kind of had Kayla on here with us to talk about how she was doing in college, being a witness. And then, uh, also related to the topics that we're talking about here. When you talk to people outside of the faith, um, there is a, a, a tension sometimes about what is good and right and just in the world. And how do we, how do we adjudicate or come about those issues and talk to each other in a way that's, not only respectful, but profitable, right? To move forward. But Jesse, you're back. You got, are those new boots that you have on today? Those fine looking. These weather. old things, yeah, man. Yeah.
1: These things. are new boots. I, you know, a shout out to, uh, uh, my dear friend and mentor Reese, Dr. Reese Bezant in uh, Ridley college in Melbourne, Australia. Hooked me up with some R.M. Williams Australian-made. Wow, Chelsea boots. Are those made of kangaroo or anything? <laughs> no, that you know. The, actually, I, I, I looked into getting some kangaroo ones, but you can't import kangaroo to eth- America. It's, ethical it's, uh, kind uh, of stuff. So, so that? in America, we consider it to be like an endangered species or something. Okay. Uh, in in Australia, it's like. You know they're like squirrels, you know. <laughs> it's just like trying to get rid re- they they're just vermin they can you, you them. want to
0: see some funny video it's like like man gets beat up by a kangaroo or something like that some of these kangaroos oh, yeah, are they like square up on you and they're like they're like Buff. jacked man they're like got, got <laughs> guns like you and like they're like like m- me. muscled up man
1: you know what i'm saying yeah i i hide mine in, under the jacket under the under the jean jacket yeah yeah i got the boots on they're, they're they're feeling i'm feeling pretty fly today yeah, you're, you're looking well
0: put together um, I'm in kind of the zoom mode. I have like on workout shorts and flip flops, but with a you know typical polo, I guess. But and it's uh, like
1: it's like 50 degrees in here.
0: It, it we can tell you exactly what it's it like is 53 in here. or something. It's 61.
1: Okay, 61. This is hot. This they, is
0: hot for you. Yeah, there's no heat coming on. <laughs> I can tell you that, Jesse. But uh, the the good sun will uh, uh, illuminate and uh, radiate us. into the corners and windows. Well, we're gonna get right to it today, guys. With our main problem, we're starting this series about. Um, what is good, right, and true? Particularly related to morality, as well as the modern right quest to find kind of a grounding of what is good without God. And so we're kind of basing on this book. I'll pull it up here. Um, this book here, the science. If you're watching the video, the science of the good, uh, science and the good, the tragic quest for the foundations of morality. That's by James James Davison Hunter and Paul Nedaleski Um, We're going to be doing several things, but where we're starting, Jesse, is this: when we open up the scripture, and certainly when my kids were little, they memorized this verse and they would uh, at their school in New Jersey, they would recite it. Uh, We went to a classical school, classical Christian school near Princeton called the Wilberforce School. Shout out Wilberforce peeps who might be listening. And they had a big, uh, big, big deal about speaking and confidence, and having like little bitty kids stand up and just memorize stuff and recite it in front of like ups And so our kids had to do this verse search Philippians four eight right. Finally, brothers, finally this this family word, finally fam. Uh, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence, or if there is anything worthy of praise. Think about these things. So the question, Jesse, for every human being is whatever is true and honorable and good and lovely, what is that? Now, our current civilization, believe it or not, friends, if you pay attention to Facebook or social media, I know you don't, Jesse, but those who do, (laughs) or even uh, the various cable news networks, our current civilization has very little agreement on what is good, and we've kind of lost the plot um, on what is good, right, and true. And I do believe, right, that is related to uh, the way we've tried as a culture to calculate what is good or, or come to a determination of it, and particularly without reference to the divine. Without reference to God. And so here's where we're going, guys, on this series. We're going to look how this has flowed out historically, both this week and then the next two podcasts. And then after that, we'll look at some cultural solutions, right? Historically flowing out of uh, Christian thought as well as uh, conter- contemporary or recent Christian thinkers, right? Uh, and then we're going to be looking at some good arguments about, you know, the reality of goodness and truth and beauty uh, and how to talk to people outside of the faith along the lines of morality and moral duties, moral, moral values and duties about uh, the God that is real and the God that loves people and how that's important in our current evangelistic environment. So that's going to take us over many months. Jesse, I know you'll be with me for a few of these episodes and then going on sabbatical or something like that. Yeah,
1: man, I'm going on sabbatical. That doesn't mean that I might not jump in here. It just means
0: I'll only do it if I want to. And all the sabbatical coaches out there, whether you coach people in academic, academia professor sabbaticals or pastoral sabbaticals, we don't want your ruling on whether or not it's right <laughs> for Jesse to jump into a podcast episode with me because that is rest well, and it's not his typical works with the Bonhoeffer House or your, or true. your roles true. as a pastor. And, you, and right?
1: you do so much work here and I just show up and, and just show up and just we show up. can, ch- we can show chat. Up, have fun. We chat. Yeah. And it's good. It's objectively and subjectively good.
0: Hey, guys, when you have things that are objectively and subjectively good, (laughs) you know what they say about that? They say,
1: it's all good. It's all good.
0: (laughs) Well, as we go into this, I want to start a little bit historically. Historically speaking, right? Um this book is wonderful. It is an academic book, but I don't think it's beyond people, you know, if you don't like uh, academic books, it's not that intimidating. It's very approachable. It does have a little bit of the history of philosophy and things like that. Uh, there, there could be a good introduction for you, actually. But his, it starts with history. And so beginning kind of what we would call in the ancient world, Jesse, sometimes called pre-modern um, However, traditional cultures, Greco-Roman, ancient Jewish, um, these things that flowed together uh, in history. And in that world, they say on page 28, roughly put, moral laws flowed from the nature of things. In other words, just the way the world is, morality goodness was built in.
1: And would you say also that it would it would, would Hunter and... Nedeliski also say that because roughly put moral laws flowed from the nature of things, that uh, there was a trustworthiness that the flow going backwards is that there is there's some source of the uh, that's right. agreed upon source of that's the moral right. laws. Okay, that's
0: right. In a lot of philosophy, say in the in the ancient ancient Greek tradition, uh, was about that trying to track back to sources, either causes or forms, and Platonic or Plato sense. But what is the source? Like, if you think of goodness flowing downhill down the mountain, so to speak, what is the the origin of that? Like with the rivers flowing to us, we see morality, goodness is built into the world. Where does it come from? Now, certainly building on that tradition, there was kind of a merger in history between kind of uh, philosophical thought and Christian theology. Um, Obviously, Plato kind of was saying there's kind of this good out there and it flows from that. And then certainly Aristotle talked about things having various causes, right? And if you didn't know the telos or the design or the cause of something, you couldn't know its purpose and that goodness was associated with that. Like, what is this for? if you couldn 't answer that question you couldn 't say what is it good for right So uh, again, they continue into kind of the synthesis. This happened guys in in the middle ages through a synthesis of philosophical thought and Christian theology. Probably the zenith of that most people still agree is Thomas Aquinas. Some give Duns Scotus a lot of credit now, but uh, certainly uh, Thomas Aquinas, both secular philosophers and Christian thinkers and philosophers, agree Thomas Aquinas was kind of the pinnacle of the synthesis of philosophy with Christian ideas about God and the good. And so sometimes that goes under scholasticism, this kind of school of thought, uh, the schoolmen of the Middle Ages Mm -hmm. who were kind of merging this philosophical tradition and Christian traditions together. Uh, So um, Davison, Hunter, and Nedaleski say this, the Ethical theories of the scholastics grounded morality and natural laws, the way things are built, uh, which were alleged to be graspable, grasp, uh, graspable <laughs> you can grab them, by the consideration of the essence of things. That is, by appreciating the ends to which things were made. So there's a purpose for everything, right? There's an end, a telos. For what they were made, and you only can grasp morality or the goodness of a thing if you know the end for which it is made. For instance, why are there human beings? If you answer that question a certain way, what is good for human beings changes, right? So if you want to answer what is a human being is a pure bundle of nerve endings and, uh, you know, stardust to goo to you kind of thing where there's no other purpose, no other higher design or reason to that, maybe you'd say, what is the purpose of the human being? Well, there is no higher purpose. Maybe uh, reproduction and survival, right? That would be a Darwinian answer. Um, but if you say human beings were made by God and for God, then you're going to ask more questions about what we should do. And then, you know, Like, well, if that's the purpose, maybe we shouldn't murder people, those kinds of things. And so their idea wasn't that all of morality was a given or easy to come by, but certainly it had a realness in its source. And part of our role, right, was to say, hey, what is good for a human being? And that's why you see that reflection throughout from the time of Augustine all the way through certainly the Christian traditions. And you and I certainly would say, what is, what should a human, is it good for a human being to lie? The question is why?
1: Mm. Yeah, that's right. Aquinas. uh, And I don't, I, I don't remember all seven. I I know that he has seven uh, um, kind of moral laws or natural laws about the, uh, the essence of goodness and humanity. Um, a few off the top of my head are, um, that, that, w- and, and, really we can tell by our natural drives. Yep. Uh, and so one being our natural drive to survive, we don't want to die. Yeah. And by that we can then apply laws like we shouldn't kill someone else because they have a right to, to life right. as well. Our right. natural drive to, um, uh, procreate, uh, and, and he would include our natural drive to worship, to find God. That's right. All of these things are, are, uh, in alignment with, what it means to be a good human. A good human is is a human that lives, a human that procreates, a human that uses
0: his natural powers towards what's good, and those things would certainly flow downhill, not just from abstract philosophical principles, uh, but from the nature of God, God himself, right? So... That tradition ran into trouble, and this is where this book is very helpful, and so we've called this episode, right, um, (laughs) good problems or problems with the good, uh, and then necessary goods because the good, the the right, and the true morality, right, is, is necessary for us, and certainly we see that when we start talking about things like justice. And so what happened in history, uh, with the Christian tradition at least, and by this we mean the North African, ancient Near East, Greco-Roman philosophical tradition tradition kind of mind-melding with Christian theology. That's kind of Western civilization. North Africa, ancient Near East, so Jewish thought and Greco-Roman philosophy with Christian Theology. Uh, The first dilemma or problem with the good that arose was kind of uh, Christian people in the same family going to war against each other. And we are very distant from this, like European wars of religion, Jesse. Um, but, But vast percentages of the populations of Europe were killing each other, right? supposedly believing similar things, right. right? So in light of that, uh, people were like, wow, we've got to find a way. And people justifying savagery, man against man, humans against humans, uh, and people justifying it for different reasons, this kind of savage warfare. How do we come to some sort of moral agreement so we at least mm-hmm. don't kill each other? History of Europe is a lot like that. Um, but the moral agreement... um I think is actually easy. I think there was strong agreement in this time in history, Um, but uh, moral agreement about actions, what we should do sometimes is very difficult. So you can even say, agree with the Ten Commandments um, and still look at these difficult moral situations that we come across as human beings and find like, "Ah, what would you do about that? So the problem of moral differences. So people during that time were trying to find a way to ground morality in a way that everyone would have to agree. Like, let's ground it in reason or let's ground it in science. Mm. Uh, And if we can do this, right, then everyone will have to agree to these three principles and everybody will do those three principles. We'll all hold hands and sing Kumbaya. But these people were starting to think secularly, right? Apart from God, apart from theology, how do we ground goodness? Now, these people also forgot about what human beings are. Um, and the sinfulness and capacity of human beings certainly explains not just moral disagreement, but, uh, moral actions that are incongruent, maybe with what you believe, and certainly every society and culture in history has seen that. You might agree that everyone thinks this is good, but not everyone does it. But the project was launched, right? How well, we're going to just because look, Newton, Newton's laws of physics, right? Um, and I know, look, physicists, people out there who know quantum mechanics and different different physics is. Um, Newton was, man, groundbreaking. There was testable, uh, repeatable science that could predict the motion when you throw a cannonball or something like that. And that was like, wow, science is really effective. And I think today we still kind of have that uh, view of life. Wow, we got iPads and stuff in front of us. Science is really effective, and it is. But can we, whether this was a category mistake or not, can we apply the scientific method to come about objective goodness where everyone will have to agree. So that project, right, was launched. Now, Jesse, um, whether or not that's successful or not, a secular version of goodness, this is the tragic quest. These guys disagree that it's been successful, and we're going to return back to... Uh, goodness grounded in God in this series towards the end. But now I want us just to sit in that history for a moment. So the problem of moral differences, people trying to find this agreement through maybe reason and science, and then um, the problem of moral complexity worldwide, people believing slightly different things about morality emerges. Now, I want to make a distinction here, Jesse. Mm -hmm. I think it's very important. The difference between, I'm going to use a big word, sorry guys, between moral ontology and ontos just means the existence of, right? What is. What is. The existence of good. Mm -hmm. The difference between moral Mm -hmm. ontology, the existence of good and moral epistemology. How do we come to know the good? Because look, the existence of good and how we come to know what is good is a different question. Yeah. Um, and the question of moral duties. So, what we ought to do? Should we? We ought to do the good if we can. Mm. So, these three categories: moral ontology. Is there such a thing as good and evil? Right. Moral epistemology. How do human beings come about knowing that? And then moral duties. Should we have to do it? Or is there anything that would compel us to do it? Do we have a responsibility to do the good, shun evil, so to speak? These things are different issues. Now, here's what I mean by that. Are objective good and evil real? So moral realism, if you, if you like. These things, moral truths, right? You shouldn't murder people. You shouldn't torture babies for fun. These are real. If they are real, Right? The moral foundations of the world, there's real goodness. If they are real, then learning moral truths, moral formation, moral education, discovery, articulation becomes not only important, but perhaps one of the most important things we can do as people certainly live in a society together. Okay. If they're real. Now, now <laughs> what's this, Jesse? What if they're not real? Yeah. All this talk. If you're enlightened and you think, oh, there's no such real thing as good and evil, it's just kind of stuff that matter bumping with matter is doing. If they're not real, this idea of morality or justice is just a fool's errand. You're not discovering anything by doing moral teaching or formation. It's a power game. could be just a, a game to subject others for your own purposes, money, power, greed, whatever. But then all calls for justice boil down to nonsense, because if there's no true alignment to that which is truly good and right and just, this is all just a human language or cultural game. So both the unjust and the just in this view, were calling for the same thing. Give me money, and give me power, maybe. Uh, give us the money and give us the power. Appeals to conscience, appeals to real justice, particularly in the case of those who are maybe oppressed, is simply a game of thrones.
1: This reminds me of something... Uh... The, the Catholic philosopher Peter Kreeft has said, you know, he, he is a, um, a Thomist. He's a, he, you know, he's a scholar of Aquinas and, uh, he describes that these two differences as, um, especially thinking about the, uh, the summum bonum, the, the supreme good, the supreme for people. good, the ultimate good, uh, in, in the kind of traditional received, you know, the givenness model is to, um, you know, to find what is, ultimately good and what is li- the best thing for us, is, us to be about and, and then yeah. to live in alignment with that to live so that you are are in pursuit of uh alignment to the good yeah but if you empty the the ontology if you if you empty the the moral the realness, realism yeah
0: the realness and then good. The,
1: the, the, the summum bonum the the ultimate good becomes a kind of Nietzschean will to power yeah which is exactly this it becomes just about um you know,
0: Fox News and CNN yelling at each other. It, yeah, and and
1: shifting word word games in order to uh, to to basically justify
0: what you justify
1: want. what you want to 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 get on top. Yeah, or a popularity contest, right? Hmm. Uh, what is good? What's
0: it's what most everyone thinks is good. Well, what if there's a whole lot of people thinking Something really bad, bad really bad good. things, yeah. right? And we've seen this in history. This is not far fetched. Right. When we talk about Jim Crow South, we talk about Nazi Germany. These are extreme examples, obviously, but these are real and and present within the last hundred years and post Right, this, hey, we're going to figure out what's good on our own. We'll talk more about the history in the coming two episodes, Jesse. And and the other problem, right? Not just about moral realism and then how do we learn it, but moral duties, right? And this is obviously goes back to Scottish philosopher David Hume, who lived 1711 to 1776. I guess he died when America was born. Where the idea is that you cannot derive what you ought to do from the state of affairs. So in other words, this is the way things are, so that cannot tell you what you should do. Right?
1: Um, or 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 it can't tell you what ought to have been the case, right? Yeah, you know? exactly. Just because it is, just because it is the fact that this is how we operate doesn't right. mean that that's in alignment with any kind of oughtness, right?
0: Yeah. Right. There's not the way it
1: should be, or the way I should should
0: act tomorrow. In fact, this is ought fallacy as emerged again because now, say in the in the university setting where you're trying to do morality or something, you're just usually studying evolutionary ethics. Why did these creatures do this? with some reasoning, well, maybe they were loving because it helped them, you know, the saber-toothed tiger wouldn't eat them or something, uh, or um, th- this this idea that um, uh, neurochemistry is just the only thing. And, and, of course, we connect that back to evolution. So this is-ought fallacy has emerged again because, hey, we can study and say, hey, these group of uh, penguins do this kind of behavior because they want to stay together. It doesn't say it's good, and as a human being, it doesn't even say what we should do tomorrow. Like, hey, evolution produced this, but that's, I can do whatever I want, right? Or communities can do whatever they want. So it doesn't really produce this oughtness, uh, which I think morality has this idea of duty that we, sh- you know, we, sh- why shouldn't police officers murder people? Why should they not, right? Uh, it's built into morality that there's this ought nature to mm-hmm. it. And so... Now, today, this the idea of secular moral philosophy has taken a surprising turn, and in the introduction to the book Science and the Good, this becomes very clear. And then we're going to give you a few examples of this from kind of maybe more uh, popular discussions or things that are hitting the street, so to speak. This is on page 21 of Science and the Good. The resolution now today, found in the cultural logic that the new moralists are following, as they would have it, Even if there isn't anything we objectively ought to be doing, we still have to decide on some basis how to live and what to do, right? What am I going to do? Uh, Without any real ethical standards, we look to social objectives as guides. What, What do we want to do as a society? What are our goals? The project then is about how science and technology can help us achieve these social goals, The role of science is to reveal how our moral psychology and our neurochemistry work or can be, get this, put to work towards achieving these societal goals. And then uh, these authors do a fantastic job here. The problem is that the social objectives are, in the end, morally arbitrary, random, reflecting either fluctuating social tastes or simply the whims of those currently in power. This is a problem, Jesse. If we start just talking about morality is not uh, something we ought to do the good and shun the evil, we ought to be just and be about justice and not injustice, and rather we're just like basically fluctuating on the tastes of the masses mm. or just simply subject to the whims of those currently in power, and hey, you become a revolutionary. You become the new people in power, and then you're not good either because you're doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. There's no up, no down. We are uh, straining into an abyss of the infinite nothing. Now, with these new definitions, Jesse, uh, if we're just if morality is just seeking social goals, well, who says what goals are worthy? Who says whose goals should be pursued? And we're still going to ask, right, Brother Jesse? We're going to ask, are those goals
1: good? And certainly right now, if you think about the, the this American cultural moment, uh, when we think about seeking social, social goods, the primary uh, uh, filter by which we decide whether or not they're good d- does seem to be the social tastes uh, or the whims of those in power. It That's does, right. It does seem to be arbitrary. That's right. That's um, right. And so it's, we're, it's playing out in real time. That's right.
0: And I don't know. I'm a follower of Jesus. I, I, I want to I love God. I want to keep his ways. This is not surprising, yeah. right? That sinful human beings certainly want to um, impress and oppress just their taste or their power on others. Um, there's an insight to this, that this is something human beings actually do. But again, if we're going to shout out, it's wrong to do that. Well, there's another step necessary, right? Rather than social goals or anything, we have to really be able
1: to say. It can't be wrong because we all agree. Right. Because there's a a bigger group of us than you. That's right. Or because we're the ones and we say so. It has to be wrong. We need to appeal to it's wrong because there's a good.
0: Yeah. Yeah. This is out of line. Yeah.
1: Uh, This falls short
0: of something. This is not the way it ought to be, yeah. and to have an immoral imagination about the future, particularly from minority positions, uh, necessitates there be something else to be said. Uh, certainly, we'll get at this many episodes from now when we look at some contemporary or recent examples of this. When uh, Doctor King wrote a "Letter from Birmingham Jail," he's appealing to something other than the majority, yeah. and calling them to it. Right? Uh, we'll do. We'll do much more on that later. Well, I want to give you two examples as we kind of wrap up this episode today and take the last 10, 15 minutes together to look at some contemporary thinking along these lines uh, that I've personally encountered. I listened to a podcast called The Mindscape Podcast. It's put together by a man named Sean Carroll. He's an atheist naturalist, openly so. Uh, written books about that, but he's a theoretical physicist. He specializes in quantum mechanics, gravity, cosmology, kind of the the history of the universe, the cosmos, the multiverse, whatever he would say uh, itself. He's a research professor uh, at Caltech, California Institute of Technology, one of the best science and technology schools in the world. And Sean Carroll does a, a podcast. I listen to it pretty regularly just because I like physics and I like to see what the other team thinks about ultimate matters. And recently he was interviewing a philosopher of equality um, named Elizabeth Anderson. She's uh, Arthur F. Thurnau, professor and John Dewey's distinguished professor of philosophy and women's studies at the University of Michigan, specializing in political philosophy, ethics, and feminist philosophy. Now, they are talking about this idea of equality on this particular episode, uh, episode 139 of the Mind, Mindscape podcast, and I'm going to play a little bit for us, Jesse, that we can all listen in to together, because I want you to hear something about the way she's talking about ethics right? And it, we're just going to listen a couple minutes, but I want, and for you guys out there, she's going to use some words. They're going to use some words that if I'm if I'm listening, I'm, I, I might need the dictionary for. So pernicious, that means kind of like a, a nasty uh, kind of harmful way to go about things. Pejorative, like you're speaking badly of something. That's some words they're going to use there. Uh, but notice how they try to talk about morality without using morality. And we'll check back in after we listen to this short clip, Jesse. This is on uh, ideology and navigating social worlds.
2: As a physicist, as a scientist, I think a lot about the fact that people have models of the world, right? And, you know, they
0: they have ideas about what's going to happen next and they update uh, if things go wrong and stuff
2: like that. And in some sense, am I crazy to think that you're you're saying that we should think of ideology as just the social version of that? I mean, an ideology Absolutely. is sort of... Absolutely. Yeah. That's exactly right. And the thing is, is that... It's used for practical purposes. We have a picture of our social world which we use to navigate our way through it. Right. And so the ideology in this sense does not have to be pernicious. Yes, that's right. So right. it's sort of It's a not a good... pejorative use of the term. Right, right. But so. it can become pernicious if our picture of our social world is either missing some major elements or maybe distorted in various ways that leads us perhaps to, you know, behave badly or treat other people unjustly.
0: Right, exactly. And I think let's just emphasize this non-pejorative, uh, sense of the word because we'll probably be using it later on. Um, that everyone has an ideology. It's not a bad thing to be ideological in this sense, right? It's, it's sort of how you approach the world in terms of what you, what you pay attention to, what you expect to see, and what it all means to you. Is that? Something close. That's
2: quite right. Although I wouldn't necessarily say that everyone has one ideology. Uh, (laughs) Often what happens is in different social contexts, we, we take on different ideologies. Okay. Right, to navigate that part of the social world that we're engaging at the moment. So I I actually don't think that most people have very coherent worldviews. Some people, right, (laughs) philosophers are paid to have a coherent worldview, but I wouldn't even guarantee that I have such a coherent worldview in my everyday life.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, Jesse, um, I agree with uh, Dr. Anderson there at the end. Is like, I don't think most people – think through about having a coherent worldview and uh, there's probably a little bit of a stew that everybody's thrown a little bit of that a mm-hmm. little bit of this maybe some what they see on social media on television, maybe what they heard in school uh, and jumble it all up. Yeah. But there's some fascinating things, guys, if you were listening to this, this, this idea that an ideology a you know, belief system in a non bad way, pejorative sense is kind of just like a map that helps us navigate uh navigation here i want you to hear social goals right Navi- navigating social worlds now the fascinating thing Jessie, and i'd love to get your take on this did you notice um some of the language she she didn't say well it can ideology can be in a pejorative sense bad if and she said some stuff i wrote down here um uh, if your miss if your ideology is missing some major pieces or it's uh distorted in some way uh makes you behave she's going to use a little more language badly or unjustly in social kind of context well if there is no my question is how does she know what's missing from someone's ideology if there's no ultimate like good that she could even compare it to, did you catch that?
1: Yeah, I caught that, and and I I found myself in some ways nodding along in the sense of I, I generally speaking, I believe the same thing. Yes, uh, but I'm appealing to a givenness, a, a received worldview. Uh, um, I'm I'm trying to appeal to a um, an actual moral realism, a, a good. Yeah, 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 and and I think that what's so hard here is is when when you've got the um, there's something lacking in your worldview. Yes. But, but I'm not, but there's nothing over here that we can actually appeal to to, to say, and, and we know that because we know what good is. Yeah. Uh, then it becomes actually something that. Lacking in your, your worldview because I'm the smart one. Yeah. I'm like what are one. you talking yeah. about?
0: Yeah. 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 So like if, if a good ideology has 10 things in it, 10 poles of morality or something, yeah. and I see that you're lacking three, where did that 10 come from? Is that, are those the 10 commandments of who knows of, I guess of Dr. Anderson and her friends, right? Right. It becomes very problematic, but here's the thing. Human beings can't, we cannot help ourselves from saying, Hey, somebody's doing bad something's wrong there <laughs> Some, something's unjust yep. right yeah um and again it, if there is no ultimate reference point we are just victim to the grand says who who says that and today i think because this is what um secularism teaches people and look the, the control of the public schools and the ac- academic institutions mostly in america if there is nobody who says it Well, then what is it? Well, we fight it out on Twitter or we fight it out in the streets. And all we're going to do is yell at each other uh, with no grounding of moral facts or moral truth. And that itself becomes a disaster. Now, Jesse and I, we both talked about this before. We've both watched the Netflix documentary called The Social Dilemma. Mm. Guys out there listening... Uh, if you have not seen this, go ahead and watch it. It's, it's very revealing. It may make you follow Jesse fully and get rid of some of them Join social me. medias. Yeah. Join me. <laughs> um, and the interesting thing about this documentary is that some of the very people who created this technology or huge investors in this technology um, are, behind, are, are are in this documentary talking about it and critiquing it. Because what's happened is social media, we all know, has been weaponized. To give people echo chambers of quote unquote their truth that they're yelling at somebody else's truth and there's no common reference point of the good at all. Now we're going to play a little clip from this documentary and what you're going to hear here is first a a former Arizona senator named Jeff Flake then a guy named Roger McNamee who was one of the uh, chief investors in Facebook founding partner of a group called Elevation Partners kind of venture capitalists you're going to hear a girl a lady named Kathy O'Neill who's a PhD in data science Uh, and I love the, uh, the book she wrote, the title at least, I haven't read it. She wrote a book called Weapons of Math Destruction. Mm. (laughs) I think it's fantastic. Then you're going to hear Mark Zuckerberg. And then finally, you're going to hear from Tristan Harris, co-founder and president of the Center for Humane Technology. And guys, I want you to take this seriously because this is a public discussion by various leaders in the political sector, the financial sector, technology sector, and saying, Oh my goodness, what kind of Pandora's box have we indeed opened?
2: My message here today is that tribalism is ruining us. It is tearing our country apart. It is no way for sane adults to act. If everyone's entitled to their own facts, there's really no need for compromise, no need for people to come together. In fact, there's really no need for people to interact. We need to have some shared understanding of reality. Otherwise, we aren't a country. So long-term, the solution here is to build more AI tools that find patterns of people using the services that no real person would do. We are allowing the technologists to frame this as a problem that they are equipped to solve. That is, that's a lie. People talk about AI as if it will know truth. AI is not gonna solve these problems. AI cannot solve the problem of fake news. Google doesn't have the option of saying, oh, is this conspiracy? Is this f- truth? Because they don't know what truth is. They don't, a, they don't have a proxy for truth that's better than a click. If we don't agree on what is true, or that there is such a thing as truth, we're toast. This is the problem beneath other problems, because if we can't agree on what's true, then we can't navigate out of any of our problems.
1: Are we toast? Jesse? (laughs) It sure feels like we're toast.
0: Here's the thing. We believe deeply that moral truth is real. Yeah. And that the tradition following Jesus of Nazareth uh, for both Christian and non-Christian has really wonderful resources about the true, the good and the beautiful. See you guys, when, when we close this by saying necessary goods, uh, we're talking about the good, the beautiful, the right. And we must engage this conversation because when we're talking about the question, what is Good. And we say we have no idea or that doesn't exist, but yet then we act like we do know and we shout at each other or we start launching at each other and our intellectual and spiritual pantry is empty and we're going bankrupt as a people. These goods are necessary for us to have. God wants us to have an idea of what is good and true. And so we're going to engage this, friends, here on the Underground Because we need goodness and we need truth. Why? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus taught us there's no one good but God. And that to know God and to follow God uh, will help us in knowing what is good and right and true. Then we need, uh, Lord, help us to actually do it. Because remember... Moral ontology, there is a real that we can pursue. We should learn and grow in character formation, morality, moral instruction of the youth. We try to do that with our kids. Everybody's trying to do that with their kids. Um, We need to refer back to the one who does say that there is a good and just way to treat each other. Uh, And then, obviously, people don't always follow it, uh, but we must say we ought to do the good And shun the evil. Jesse, the next few episodes, I think you will be here for us. We'll look at episode 107 is going to be modernism in motion. This uh, idea that we were going to use science and figure it all out. We're sitting in the seat where we realized that that didn't happen, but we're gonna look at that. Mm. And then uh, episode 108 will be what I call postmodern comeuppance. And everybody today, we do have receipts, right? That somebody's evil. We just don't know which way is up or down. That's where we're headed. got any final closing thoughts here as we wrap up today with necessary
1: good? Well, you know, only that as I think about my task as a pastor in a local church in a small town, part of, part of what I am thinking in alignment with this is, uh, my job is, is to help people have a philosophy of life. It's, it's really to help people, a way of seeing, uh, a way of seeing, a map, but not just a, a arbitrary map to uh, be in alignment with how to navigate social, you know, issues, social or, worlds, social spaces, spaces <laughs> uh, but but a map of life, a map of 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 eternal things, a map of the goodness, and uh, and so really, it's not it, that 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 is part of what it is to, to make disciples, is to say, hey, Jesus is the way. He's going to show the us the way. The life. Yeah. yeah. Well, Jesse. We have the honor and privilege of
0: navigating social worlds, inhabiting various spaces, and we have the gall, the cojones, to say that we might actually know how human beings ought to be treated before we walk into a social world because people are valuable. They should be loved. They should be respected no matter what. Dignity belongs to human beings, and that is not arbitrary. That isn't because we bling humans are like the penguins. because we believe they're made in the image and likeness of God. We need a resurgence of image of God, theology, Mm. and beliefs about everyone as we walk in this world of beautiful diversity with hope, knowing we have a map. We should love our neighbors, love our enemies, and love God with all we are. That's what Jesus taught us. We look forward to joining us here in the future, guys. On the Gospel Underground, we're a podcast produced with the partnership with the Bonhoeffer House, and we like reviews. Write up a review. Give us a couple sentences with your five stars. Send your feedback, comments, anything you'd like us to address, maybe even in this series. Questions you might have about the good to info at gospelunderground.org. We are a dialogue taking place in the borderlands between the church and culture. We're out today, Jesse. Peace. Peace.